Soy Aaron. <laughs> what? <laughs> Me llamo Timotelo. Me llamo Swain. <laughs> Soy Pablo. <laughs> Cultural competency program complete. Paul is in fuego. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hey, you, you know, you throw me off a little bit when you do that kind of stuff. <laughs> we are now 200% more Puerto Rican. There you go. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> so how you boys doing this week? Good. <laughs> I was doing okay. <laughs> <sighs> Good times. <laughs> Uh, I got cold. Oh. Not enough. Not enough oranges. Well, you need to you need to break out some right now, in the middle of the podcast. Drink right. some oranges. So I don't I don't get everybody else sick. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, you know, my computer could catch a virus talking to you like this. Oh. <laughs> that is how this works, isn't it? <laughs> it can get leprosy or syphilis or something. I blew my nose <laughs> on Wayne's video card. Don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, Aaron. Your computer right now is talking to Paul's computer, and that has so much strange porn on it that you never know what kind of viruses he got downloading that stuff. So all of our computers are at risk, and it's not from Tim. Well, I do have a a a, a gigantic condom, you know, on my network uh, cable, so you know it runs right through that. So I, I, I'm practicing safe computing. What does happen when Mama Baby foreplay matches up with furry porn? <laughs> you better you better hope your computer's not under eighteen. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this went off in a weird direction. Okay. So. That's what you get for starting the show in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this show is sponsored by Gigas Locas. Coming soon. So uh oh. AMC seems to be cornering the uh, the the geek programming market on Sunday nights with uh, you know their Walking Dead show followed by the Talking Dead followed by Comic Book Men uh, Kevin Smith's new show any of you guys watch Comic Book Men yet yes I've got I've watched uh, the first two episodes of it Paul. I watched the first one uh, and there's a reason I didn't watch the second one. <laughs> what were your thoughts Paul you know I uh Here's the thing. I actually didn't hate the first episode. For the first half hour of the first episode, I really kind of hated it. But the last half hour, it kind of, you know, got a little funny, and I was okay with it. But at the end of it, I realized, like, I just it, – it feeds air every negative stereotype about comic shops and comic fans that it just, it just kind of bugged me. I'm like, I don't want to support that show. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now it's a moral imperative to not support the show because they feed negative comic stereotypes. My thoughts are that it shouldn't be an hour-long show. This should be a half-hour show, and they should cut out the uh, all of the people bringing stuff in and them trying to uh, bargain it down because all of that is boring as hell. I mean, it's like Comic Roadshow. You know, I, I don't like reality TV. And one of the things I dislike about reality TV is that there's very little that's real in reality TV. You know, everything's staged. Like, for instance, in the second episode of Comic Book Men, you have this artificial drama where, okay, you three guys go out to the flea market and whoever sells the most, you know, uh, gets two weekends off back to back, right? It's This is artificial. This is, this is you know, I, I, I just – I really hate that kind of thing. Yeah, Eric, this, were you as jealous as I was of the people at that uh, at that flea market when they gave the whole table? Yeah, buying the whole table for ten bucks. It's like <laughs> hell yeah, I'd buy that whole table for ten bucks. But it was ridiculous. I mean, you know, the you've got uh, you know Brian Johnson is you know destroying things that are on the other guy's table, you know, and like you're not supposed to see it coming, you know, because there are cameras there. Um, it just it it irritates me. Um, one of the things that really grates on me about the show is the guys coming in to sell stuff, you know, and they all do it right there at the front counter. And you notice, you know, it's, it's, we're supposed to be pretending that, you know, this is all happening during the regular life cycle of the shop, but funny how there are no other customers in the store. You know, it's the guy coming in to sell something and you've got four guys standing behind the counter, you know, uh, 
you know, reviewing the article and, oh, let's let's call, you know, an expert in to come and take a look at this. Uh, it's just there's very little reality well, in, this, in this, quote, reality TV show. Have you also noticed, Aaron, that every shot has a Kevin Smith product in the background? Or Walking Dead. Yes, <laughs> or Walking Dead. Yeah. Well, and you know what's funny? They've already, you know, I read an interview with Kevin Smith about the show. Two of the employees that they have in the show uh-huh. aren't actual show aren't actual employees yeah brian like johnson is not a, is not an employee of the store he just apparently like, hangs out when there's cameras there right yeah like they brought in two guys just to you know spice things up yeah. um in fact i think and i forgive me for for classifying him this way because i forget his name but the asian guy is not an actual employee of the store right i think he's like an employee of uh, view askew yeah and they yeah. just brought up to basically bring you know to bring spice to the show, but I, I just, well, you're I, trying to hold on to that Asian demographic from Walking Dead because you know you've got you know Glenn <laughs> that's meeting that certain demographic, and they don't want to lose those folks that are tuning in for Glenn. So you can have Ming over on uh, on Comic Book Man. So it's it's all bridging well, the demos. What, what they did was they took all the people that they had doing their comic book podcast right. and they put them all in the store, even though most of them didn't work in the store. Well, and the so. Let's talk about what we don't like about the show. We don't like the the fake, you know, uh, pricing the the memorabilia collectibles back issue. Yes, I hate that. In fact, the, the, this just—I mean—it drove me crazy, guys. Guy comes in with a bunch of Crisis on the Infinite Earths, brings in you know a full complete set and then a couple of duplicates, and uh, you know Walt, you know who is the store manager, says, "Oh yeah, look at this Crisis on the Infinite Earths." turns around to a guy who works in a comic shop. Are you familiar with this? No, I am not. And I'm at this point I'm ready to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I I'm like okay, this if he's not familiar with Christ on the Infinite Earth, I don't buy that he works in a comic book shop, reads comics, or is knows responsible for stocking comics, working the back law, back back issues. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, if you've been in a comic book shop for a week, as an employee, you know about Crisis on the Infinite Earths. And I understand the purpose of that was so that they could tell the, the viewer what Crisis on the Infinite Earths is. But there's a, there's a better way to do that rather than scripting your reality show. You turn to the camera and you say, hey, Crisis on the Infinite Earths is this. Or you do that pop-up window thing where it gives you the facts. I just sat there going, you have got to be freaking kidding And me. I was annoyed by their description of it because it didn't at all convey the importance of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. They just talked about it like it was just another miniseries. Yeah. It really bugged me. You get a guy who, who comes in with uh, – a sketch by Bob Kane, you know, the guy who uh, created that. Oh, yeah. That g- comes in, puts it down in front of them. You know, what would your price be on this? And they're like, oh, yeah, $10,000. $10,000 for a simple pen and ink Bob Kane. Now, don't get me wrong. Bob Kane's a great guy. <laughs> but nobody's paying $10,000 for something that he he did on the back of a memo. You know, unless it was his original concept sketches. Because, you know, number one, Bob Kane hasn't been dead that long. And two, uh, he did so many sketches, they're not rarefied yet. You know, certainly there, there's a cap on how many there are. But, uh, you know, there's so many out there. It, it's not worth $10,000. Well, the not sketch only that. Provided. You know, that's saying – I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But, you know, they had this – I believe it was the same episode. This guy came in with a signed Tomb of Dracula. The first yes. appearance of Blade, I believe. Yes. And they said, we can't accept it because there's no certificate of authenticity. Right. There was no certificate of authenticity with the Bob Kane. Exactly. Yes. No, I, I did the same, same issue. Yeah. And I was like, God, you guys are assholes. <laughs> and, you know, I just I, – I, and I got to be honest. It's, I dislike it for the same reason I dislike the Big Bang Theory. The I hate the negative stereotypes against geeks. Yeah. You know, I, I got to be honest. I hate those kinds of geeks. I hate those kinds of geeks who are just so anal and, you know, like, like Wayne's fake geek voice. I hate those kinds of geeks, <laughs> you know, but like, and so, so what do we do? Let's have a show about big bang theory where, where, you know, we show these, those kinds of geeks getting hot girls and then let's have this comic book men. And it's like, we're just feeding these negative stereotypes. You know, it's like, why can't we show mature 
responsible, cool geek. I mean, I know oh. they're out there. There's at least one of them on this podcast, me. Um, so, you know. <laughs> I was about to say, they'd have to find them first, and that's not the easiest thing to do. Well, so, if only AMC knew four or five distinguished gentlemen that already do a comic book protest and can bring tens of listeners every week. <laughs> you know, when I when I think about what I don't like about the show, the staging, the the, the fake realityness of it, um, the the pricing, you know, the 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 hey, you know, how much will you buy this for? The negotiating, the the antique road show part of the of the of the series. The only thing I really like is when they're just genuinely sitting around talking about comics. That's the only thing I like about that show. I like when the Batmobile showed up. Yeah. See, you know, and and again, that that what bothered me about that was how staged it was. Yeah, the Batman just showed up on the day you've got cameras there. You know, I wish that they would just own the fact that they're shooting a show and say, hey, the guy who's got the Batmobile is coming up today. It would feel more genuine. Yeah. And and there are other shows, you know, that don't make it seem like it's their natural life to do that kind of crazy shit. Right. You know, just own up. You're, You're you're not you're you're it's obviously not natural. Comic shops. Don't operate that way. And yes, there are people who bring their shit into comic shops all the time trying to sell it. But, you know, I mean, it most comic shops don't buy them. Well, and that's that's the reality of the market is I wish they'd say, you know what? You know, back issue business ain't what it used to be. You know, and you see him doling out dollars all day long. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at my comic book shop. You know, where somebody walks in with a long box and say, you know, sorry, we're not buying back issues anymore. Yeah, I mean, they're you know, buying stuff like crazy on the show, which I don't buy to begin with. Right. And it seems like that's all that comes through the door. Yeah. They even made a comment, you know, does it seem like nobody comes in here to actually buy stuff? Well, I think that yeah, that's, you know, an artifact of the fact that they've actually, they probably closed the store to shoot these things. So the only people who are coming in are their reality guests. It's a frustrating show to watch. I got to be honest, you know, so focusing on the things that I do like about it, just about the only thing I like about it is the podcast scenes. Yeah. Yeah. With Kevin Smith there. Well, and if you've listened to any of of Smodcast, you know, there is a genuine genuineness to those episodes. You know, that that it's the the conversation just flows to wherever the conversation goes. And I think that's what the, the, the boat that they missed for comic book men. Because uh, because of the scripting. Yeah, even the episode where uh, where Jay shows up, Ugh. it's like that whole thing was a a plant. Oh yeah, I don't buy any of this. Even though yeah, he's he's flighty and he's Hurricane Jay, I don't buy any of that. Yeah, well, and that that Ming is going to use his own credit card to pay for Jay's purchases. Yeah, that's just yeah. not going just, to happen. Just stupid. Yeah, I just it infuriates me. Now I'm going to keep watching because I think it's good fuel for our show. <laughs> but it is it's an infuriating show to watch. You know, if you're somebody who's in the hobby, you know, who understands how this stuff works, it's just infuriating. I'm sure that uh, non comic book people are watching the show and going, "Yeah, I bet that's just exactly how it is." Yeah, and it's sad because I'm a comic fan and I'm a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah. You would think that it's something that's combining the two would be, you know, gold, but no, it's really not. It's a shame, you know, because it's it right after The Walking Dead, and The Walking Dead is kind of this has always been a gateway drug for new comic readers, right? And so, you know, in, by taking advantage of The Walking Dead lead-in, they could have done something really special with comic book men, and they just didn't. And you know, it, it's not just us who are saying this. Um, you know, if you read Twitter, almost everyone pretty much hates the show. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a shame, you know, because it, it had so much potential. Well, and I, and I think that, that the venom against the show, um, is largely because everyone was hoping that it would be so good, you know, that this could be good for comics. And I think there's a lot of people who are still out there going, it could still be good for comics. Let's give it a little time to find its feet. You know, because because yeah. you know the comics industry is looking for anything that will broaden the audience. I don't think you it's going to be this. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. But so, Paul, um, I, I heard a rumor, and I I I, I need you to disabuse me of uh, this notion. But I heard on the street, you know, people were talking that you're not watching Walking Dead anymore. I am not watching Walking Dead anymore. What the um, hell? Is it because you hate good things? 
Yes, actually. Okay. No, you know, the first half of the season, uh, you know, they had, I guess they broke the season into two pieces. Uh-huh. So I guess season 2.1. Are, are we about to spoil the ending of uh, the first half? Um, spoilers on. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but okay. I'm sure we will at some point in this yeah, conversation. Because that ending was the highlight of the show to this point for well, me. Well, yeah, of course, because not a goddamn thing happened for six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like season two, I watched six episodes of the same fucking thing over and over and over and over and over. So this girl went missing. Okay, this girl's missing. We have to find her. We have to find her. But wait, wait. We need to practice our gun shooting first. Oh, we need to practice this. Oh, we need to clear out the well. Oh, it's like, you know, it's obviously not that much of a priority. And, you know, so it, we get, just basically got six episodes of the same damn thing until the, mid, the mid-season finale. And got to be honest, I lost interest. I got I got tired of the show spinning its wheels in place and just I dropped it. And oh, You are really missing out, Paul. This uh, second half of the season is so much better than the first half was. See, I've heard mixed reviews, and so I just I, I'm if I I'll wait till DVD. I did not watch uh, the first half of the season until after it was done because uh, I just didn't have time to watch it, and I, I had I had heard uh, negative reviews. Yeah, I, I really kind of what you're talking about, Paul. You know, the decompressed nature of the storytelling. And when I watched, I watched all six episodes back to back. I, I thought it was wonderful, but I could see being very frustrated if you're watching a week to week. Yeah, and there were know? plot points that were happening through there. I mean, we yeah. got to see the uh, Glenn and uh, I can never remember her name. Glenn's girlfriend. Yeah, we got to see their <laughs> relationship develop. And uh-huh. There were subplots where he took that, her to Pound Town. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there were these subplots that were going, and the story was moving along, and it just. The pacing did seem very off and very slow for those of us that were watching it each week as the episodes came out. Yeah. But this second half of the season is the opposite. It's so much is happening so quickly and just kind of hitting you in the face. Yeah. Well, I, I thought the first half watches really well when you're watching it, you know, in one complete set. I, I thought it was great. Uh, was excited. When, uh, the, the ending, and, and we'll try not to spoil it, the ending of the first half of the season was fantastic. Fantastic. So the comic writes for the trade. Does the TV show write for the box set? I think it does. <laughs> I think it does. And I got to tell you, the uh, what what I love about uh, uh, Walking Dead is that it streams on Netflix. You know, the, I, I was able to catch up on all. I, I didn't have to watch it on my TiVo because you know AMC was doing some of that goofy stuff where uh, they'd start a minute late or go a minute long. So I just wound up watching it on Netflix. And it was terrific. I just absolutely loved it. And I've, I've watched the first two episodes of this season. And, I mean, it starts off five seconds after the end of the first half of, of the season. Yeah, I was surprised by that, that it starts yeah. right there at that cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, you, it just it – just, I didn't even in, think that was a cliffhanger, but it, because of where they started it, they made it one. Yeah. And I, I, I tell you what, I did spend some time in the first episode you know, because there's people in the background. You're like, hey – are those new people? <laughs> you know, I had to go back and look at the the, the final episode of, of the last half to make sure that those people were there because I didn't recall them. But. So my wife had a comment about the uh, that first episode. There's a scene where everyone is uh, is standing over a grave, and then when it's over, they all walk away in different directions. Yes. And my wife's like, what the hell is that? They're all walking in different directions. None of them are walking together. They're on a farm where there could be zombies coming from anywhere. <laughs> There's not something in every direction to go to. At least two of them would walk in the same direction. That is so staged and ridiculous. It's not believable. Yeah. And I had to admit she was right. Well, I, you know, I just ha- we're, we're watching, you know, the ongoing story of the zombie apocalypse, you know, there on The Walking Dead. And two things come to my mind about, you know, surviving the zombie apocalypse. It has got to smell really bad, you know, not just the the rotting dead people walking around. But, you know, all you ever see is these people just sweating through their clothes. I haven't seen any of them go, hey, when you're at the drugstore, Glenn. Pick up some right guard. You know, I haven't seen that, that that conversation happen. You know, because Shane, he stinks. Rick, he stinks. Those guys need, uh, they need to be showering more frequently. They need to be freshening up their clothes and generous applications of deodorant. And second thing, 
I'm not sure I want to survive a zombie apocalypse if I can't have ice for my scotch. Just saying. I think your priorities are a little out of whack. Just saying. <laughs> uh, what would your priority be? Because, uh, you know, Paul, I know you're going to be going, oh, I-, I can't get my digital comics. That's true. <laughs> Come Paul on, comicsology reboot. Come on, refresh, refresh. <laughs> can I survive the zombie apocalypse without the new episode of Comic Book Men? <laughs> I'm not sure I can. No, Paul would just have issues because you know him and his wife couldn't use the chicken suit anymore. Because if they ripped it, there'd be no more chicken suit. That's right. You, you can't get her a place to, chicken suit to, in an apocalypse. You'd have to patch up this chicken suit. You'd have to learn you know, how to sew, Paul. I'm sure there would be a chick. I'm sure I could raid a Halloween warehouse somewhere <laughs> to get your chicken suit. I'm sure that is the only place in the zombie apocalypse that won't be ransacked. Yeah, uh, that's the strategic place it is. The yeah. After, <laughs> after Paul and them are all dead and people are wondering through taking his stuff, there'll be this really awkward conversation with people ransacking his house. Why is this chicken suit crotchless? Awkward. I'll tell you right. I'll tell you right now, guys. I, I would. I would be the one that you can hand the grenades to and, and let and let them all let them all fry. I'm good with that. All I'd want is you guys be like Tim. We miss him. He was too angry to live. <laughs> he was too angry for this new world of ours. Right. Yeah. yeah full of rage. Uh, I, I would. I would pull a chain and probably shoot one of you in the kneecaps. Just, just letting you know. See so, now oh, that episode where, where Wayne, you know, uh, oh, sorry, Shane. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when Shane. Freudian slip. When when Shane kneecaps uh, Otis, you know, so that you know he's the slow guy and the zombies get him instead of uh, Shane. That is totally my move. <laughs> it is It is not important that you be the fastest guy in the party. It's only important that you not be the slowest guy in the party. Exactly. And if you got to hobble your buddy, you hobble your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so don't let Aaron hold the gun either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, when you're putting on your shoes as the zombies are coming, I'm just going to slip a rock in there. You know what else is a horror story? What's that, Tim? Brian Michael Bendis on X-Men. What are you talking about? He doesn't write the X-Men. He writes the Avengers. Silly Tim. Well, there's a rumor that uh, he's taking over X-Men after AVX. Yeah, the uh, the current rumor is that, you know, we all know Brian Michael Bendis is leaving Avengers after the Ultron War and after the Avengers versus X-Men crossover. Current rumor is that he is moving on to the X titles, um, and he'll be taking over them much in the same way he took over the Avengers, you know, with Avengers and New Avengers. I'm guessing we'll have X- – maybe he'll write both X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. I don't know. And maybe it'll be X-Men disassembled? Maybe. Well, I, no. I'm assuming that's what Avengers versus X-Men is supposed to be. <laughs> Can I just say that your transition there was so staged that it could have been on Comic Book Men? <laughs> <laughs> No, whatever. I am. I am scared. And let me tell you what. I'm going to save you several hundred dollars. You guys ready? Oh, here we go. Uh, okay. The, uh, the Cyclops X Men are going to be called Dark X Men. Utopia is going to be destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt again. Will we move Utopia to Oklahoma at any point? Uh, maybe. And there's going to be about two years of the X Men getting their asses kicked by everybody. That's funny. Uh, two years will be the first storyline, and it'll be. It'll all take place in the course of like a day or two and just be some conversations. Yeah, we won't have the actual X-Men team assembled until about issue 13. So uh, can I confess something? Wolverine LMDs? You're excited about this, aren't you? I really am. I am too. I got to be honest. I love Brian Brian Michael Bendis. And, you know, Mm. I I actually kind of enjoyed House of M. I, I, yeah, I... (laughs) I don't know if I can say that I enjoyed it, but I didn't despise it as much as I despise Secret Invasion at the end. I uh, I, I kind of dug House of M. I did. I I I I, I know that's not a, a popular sentiment, uh, but uh, I, I did. Uh, core titles, not the, not the uh, connecting titles, but uh, I did. I, I think it reads well, collected. Um, and you know, Brian Michael Bendis tells a, a big story. True, I think he spends too much time uh, in the decompressed storytelling mode. Um, I, I, but I love what he did with Avengers. And hey, you know, he put Avengers back on top. 
Yeah, New Avengers was an incredible book when it first came out. I loved it. And it, I was not an Avengers fan. I remember thinking they're putting together this team of Avengers. This isn't the Avengers. This is Spider-Man, Wolverine, and you know, they, they shouldn't even be on you know, a team like the Avengers. I will and say, I was surprised. It was good. I'm a little surprised that they're putting Bendis on the, on the X-Men. Simply, for, you know, because he he raised the profile of the Avengers such that we got an Avengers movie. You know, he raised the profile of all those characters attached to the Avengers, and you know, really has been responsible for a heyday uh, for those for those characters. But uh, uh, Marvel doesn't own the movie production rights for X Men. That's 20th Century Fox or Fox. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised that uh, they're putting their, their big talent over on the X-Men when all they can really do is hope to sell toys and uh, uh, comic books. And they don't have that big opportunity to make bank on a big uh, movie production there. You know, probably part of it is he wants a new challenge. Yeah. Because he's been doing Avengers for, what, now, 10 years? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I kid somewhat about it. I, I'm not I'm not as, you know, looking forward to it as you guys, but I don't think it'll be necessarily bad. It's just I don't... I don't like some of the, the the storytelling beats that he he's done lately. Yeah, I and, think it'll probably be a really good story that'll spread across far too many books, and at some point the vault will have uh, prison break. <laughs> <laughs> All I gotta say is you stay away from Wolverine and the X Men, bub. Well, and Astonishing X Men because I'm really enjoying Astonishing X Men. You can have like whatever X Men Legacy. And uh, whatever the X Force. Well, and the the story that Bleeding Cool reported is that they they're suspecting that there'll be an X Men reboot. Mm, that and, sounds about right. And uh, and I, and and I wonder if they mean reboot like in the style of Disassembled that you know he'll just kind of take everything, hit it with a hammer, and then rebuild. Yeah, and the sad thing is X Men just rebooted basically. Yeah. I mean. With the whole schism and the launch of Wolverine and the X Men and renumbering Uncanny. Well, and uh, X-Men seems like a title or a, a franchise, I should say, that's constantly rebooting. You know, they are constantly kind of resetting the game. You know, I think because of the angst in that team, that doesn't necessarily – that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I agree. I agree. It, it's a very fluid team, and it's a the, – the story changes all the time. But I'm, uh, I'm just curious what character will be his uh, – you know, his out-of-nowhere go-to characters. Like, when you look at what he did with Avengers and some of the other books, you get characters like Luke Cage was yeah. his... Uh, came out of nowhere. Yeah, came out of nowhere, became his. This is the new number one character. He had Jessica Jones kind of the same way, and a couple other characters that came from obscurity or that he just created himself and became, you know, frontline characters. I'm really curious what he's going to do with the X-Men in that regard. Well, which... That, that's the part that I think is going to be the most interesting to watch. So think about it. He brought Luke Cage over from Alias and the Pulse that he was writing. You know, he brought uh, Jessica and uh, and Luke Cage over. So what mutants is he writing right now that he appears to have some fondness for? You know, he's got Wolverine in his book. If he's looking for a new challenge, maybe we'll actually see Wolverine take a back seat. Mm-hmm. Is Squirrel Girl a mutant? Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I'm just dirty. <laughs> His stories have been all about Scarlet Witch in the background. Yeah, you, I would imagine that there's going to be a Scarlet Witch component to the story. I'm trying to think of any other uh, mutants he's got on his team. Well, Storm showed up for half a, half a panel, right? True, true. <laughs> and slept through it. Yeah, there's a lot of character development of her laying there like a, you know... <laughs> Crash test done. Hey, but her boobs were practically falling out of her suit, so that's okay. Uh, you know, that's I'm, that, I'm fine build, with that. That builds character. It does build character. Oh. And other things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious what he's going to do with characters like Kitty Pride. I think he could do some amazing things with her. Yeah. You know, there's some fun things happening with her right now in, in the Wolverine book. But. There's, a, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in the X-Men books right now. Like, I, I can't believe that I'm reading Astonishing on a regular basis now. Uh, I, 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 I always like the X-Men, but I don't want to get sucked in, you know, to all the, uh, drama and all the tie-ins and, uh, and, you know, and I I gotta tell you, I'm looking really hard at your Wolverine and the X-Men books, Tim. 
looking really hard at them. It started, Aaron. You're getting sucked in. I know. I know. But that's okay. I've stopped reading most of the DC books. So, you know, I've got a few few extra coins to spend. But, hey, uh, this week, you know, uh, they, they put a little free something in my comic book, comic book bag. And it's the uh, Avengers vs. X-Men program guide. It's got exclusive previews. You can meet the AVX players. You can follow the roadmap to AVX. And, you know, as expected, there's a little bit of sample artwork in there, and there are some uh, some preview pages from See, the first two issues. This is why I hate the weeks where I'm not able to get to my shop on uh, Wednesday. Because when I don't get into like a Thursday or a Friday, all of these things like that, yeah, they're they're gone. I don't, I didn't get that this week. I missed Ultimate Comics Spider Man this week because I didn't know that, you know, it was out and my shop was sold out by Thursday. Well, you know, my guy uh, put it in my pull for me. You know, I, I I'm generally not a big fan of these preview books, but uh, the pages that they preview for us are awfully pretty. They're awfully pretty. So I, I'm. I gotta tell you, you know, I know initially I, I wasn't real, real psyched about this, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of psyched about it now. I've been enjoying the storyline leading up to it with, uh, with Cable, where he's taking down the Avengers one by one. Now, are you reading that uh, the uh, what is it called? It's the uh, X Sanction. Yep. Are you really? Is it any good? I said I've really been enjoying it. It's wow. Cable taking down the Avengers one by one and how he's doing it. You know, you see, he was able to take out, you know, Captain America. He was able to take on Iron Man. And it's just interesting the ways he's finding to take on each of these characters. Huh. And it's they're not one-sided fights either. Wow. And and so you're, you're, how's the Ed McGinnis artwork working out for you? It's fine. Not the best artwork in the world, but it's, uh, I've certainly seen worse. And does this occur in continuity? So, you the- know... That's the hard thing for me to say because I'm not reading Avengers and I'm not reading uh, X-Men. It is a purely a tie-in to this crossover. The uh, the Avengers are responsible for Hope not being there to save the world at some point coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. So he's come back to take out the Avengers to make sure that they don't take Hope. Right. You know, I, I have uh, avoided reading it because of the Ed McGinnis artwork, and you know, we've had that conversation before. But I also couldn't get a sense of where it falls in the timeline, you know, because there's no there's no reference to this in any of the current Avengers books or in any of the the X Men books that I'm reading. Now, I think this is a direct tie-in just to the the crossover. Yeah. They won't mention it at all until the crossover starts. Yeah. And I do think it may, it'll be mentioned in the crossover. So, uh, along the lines of Avengers, Avengers Academy this week, issue 26. Uh, Timmy, did you read this one? No. What, why, Tim? You've always been such a fan of the Academy. Yeah, just didn't get the comic shop. Okay, all right then. So you're not making some kind of political statement here? No, no. Okay. All you right. plan on buying it. You plan on reading it. You just haven't right. bought it yet. Right. I mean, you guys will spoil it for me, which is fine, but, you know. <laughs> so, Wayne? Oh, this book was so good. Yeah, it was. I, this is one of those – we had the cliffhanger at the end of last issue with Jocasta showing up and saying that she was going to shut down Avengers Academy. And, you know, you expect this to go into this big one team versus another team fight or something else. And this is an issue of mostly dialogue. Yeah, it was. It was character. It was it was hearing the perspective of the big decision from each one of the characters in the book. It was it was great, you know, to hear uh, Jocasta make her statement and Vale to make hers. Uh, you know, to, to see everybody's motivation is just an opportunity to see the characters having moments without actually being in a fight and talking about something that's important to them about their futures. I, I uh, loved uh, Reptile stepping up. I mean, this. Yeah. This kid is going to be a leader. I love him stepping up and saying, hey, both of you are being idiots. Yeah. I mean, that was so great. And all of these wonderful character moments, in, uh, especially between Hazmat and uh, Metal. Yeah. They, I really yeah, and the sacrifice that she was develop. prepared to make for him. You know, I, I thought that was, that was just very touching. She was prepared, you know, because Metal has given up 
on trying to be human again. He just doesn't feel like it's, it's going to be possible for him. So she asks Jeremy, you know, the, the you know, uh, leader of this other organization, you know, she says, you know, I'll come with you if you'll research a cure for metal. And she gives him a piece of metal's body that had been hacked off by X-23 during last issue's fight. And so she you know, gives him this little, little scrap of metal and he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. And she goes, you know, so she's all planning to go join this other team, even though that, you know, she's got very deep feelings for metal. And you know, you see that she's going to make that sacrifice. I'll sacrifice our, you know, relationship so that I can, you know, uh, motivate this guy to find a cure for you. I just thought that was a great moment. Yeah, and I loved how he played it off. The Jeremy is the long-term chess player, right? And they're remembering that. I mean, they every move he makes. In this book, if you read between the lines, oh, yeah. he's positioning for long term. Mm-hmm. He has won her over now for the long term. When if he would have gone with his original idea, she would have been resentful of him. And now, long term, when he comes back and tries to recruit her again, I think she's more likely to you know to side with him. Yeah. And that that panel where she's running up to to hug Hazmat after the conversation, mm-hmm. that was another strong panel with no words between them, but it's just it's so so strong character moments. The artwork was so good in the book, and I like their that they haven't ended this whole future storyline. Mm-hmm. The where they're going with that is very intriguing too. Yeah, and I and I won't ruin this for Tim, but the very last page of the book is pretty damn awesome yes yes it is yeah so i big thumbs up for avengers academy and and this may be the first time that that we didn't spend a whole bunch of time uh uh shining uh tom grummet but his his pencils on this book are still outstanding yeah and that that last page particularly the art on that page yeah that sells a whole story in a single panel yep yeah no tom grummet is uh on fire on fire i say uh, in this book, much like the, the original Human Torch is on fire in Secret Avengers number 23. And uh, I'll just briefly state that, uh, you know, I know that Paul had some concerns in the uh, previous issue with Remender taking over the story. And while we, we both really dug the uh, heroes, we had some concerns with the villains and we just hadn't connected with them yet. But this issue of Secret Avengers um, – you know, picks up right where the uh, previous issue left off and really focuses on Ant-Man, you know, who, if you'll recall, you know, is really not a, a, a character of uh, high moral standards. And it really showcases his effort to try and be a better guy, even though deep down he doesn't feel like he's a better guy, but he feels like he should be a better guy. And it's a really interesting internal monologue that you get throughout the story um, I dug it, and I got to tell you, the Gabriel Hardman uh, artwork in this book is outstanding. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, all kinds of, of, of you know people getting their ass beat. Uh, uh, you know, bad guys. You know, taking advantage of, of innocent people, uh, and you know, uh, Ant Man taking a profound beating. And things don't look good for for our friend the Ant Man. I'm not so sure he's going to be okay because he gets curb stomped at the end of the book. So, and with Ant Man, it's probably an actual curb. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, tell me about No Place Like Home. You know, I've been I've been uh, watching uh, the the, the uh, show called Supernatural. Right. Um, I've been catching. I I didn't watch it when it premiered, but uh, I just watched the first two seasons. And uh, you know, and then I read this this book. This is an image book, uh-huh. No Place Like Home. Uh, Angelo Tirodo, Tirodo, whatever. I don't I don't do names well, <laughs> but yeah. uh, this had a very much a, a supernatural feel. Right. And uh, you know, I know I, I caught a, I caught a little bit of flack about saying that. I, usually, when it's not a superhero book, it needs to be a little higher quality. This one was pretty. Was pretty. Was pretty. Was pretty nice. I uh, I enjoyed the the um, just the touch of supernatural that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the uh, you know the girl returning home from you know California angle and uh, it was it was a lot of nice beats. Um, yeah, 
beautiful artwork, good, strong characters. This is obviously a Wizard of Oz tie-in, but you you can tell that even just by the name of it. But it's slowly progressing to that part of the story. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm getting the feeling it's going to be a lot darker than Wizard of Oz, maybe more towards, you know, what the, what the book was versus the movie. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was enjoyable. I'm not sure how long they're going to sustain this because it seems like it's a pretty much a one-story kind of thing, which is fine. Right. Um, I actually kind of, you know, think that's a, a better way to go when it comes to uh, stories like this. You don't want to prolong it with something that seems artificial, but See, uh, it does seem that that one story will last a long time, though, because the the storytelling beats it's a slow progression. It's a Bendis type of decompressed storytelling. Oh yeah, it might be like a thirty issue thing. I, I would agree, but yeah, no, it was it was enjoyable. I, I, the artwork, I did like the artwork. I thought it fit. I thought it fit the uh, the story pretty well, and uh, I enjoyed it. it was, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that Tim asked for someone to read this with him because I would not have picked it up. I would not have looked through it or read it at all, and I I enjoyed it. I plan on reading the rest of the series. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree. Um, I think this was a very solid book. If you if you're a, if you're a fan of uh, supernatural or uh, you know books that have slight tie-ins to uh, to movies that are smartly done, um, this this would be a book for you. No, oh, check it out. So, Aaron, you were mis- you were mentioning ass-kicking earlier. <laughs> yes, I was. And if you want to see Galactus get his ass handed to him, you got to pick up Fantastic Four number 603. You know, the Galactus was the only reason I picked up the issue before. Because I had dropped Fantastic Four. I dropped FF. I was completely off of, you know, all of these books. And then last week, you know, last month, it was in my pull list still, and I didn't get a chance to slip it back on the shelf without anyone watching me. So I picked it up, and I'm flipping through it, and I saw Galactus is in there. It's like, okay, I love Galactus, so I'm going to buy the book. And then you know, I read through it, and the ending hyped me up for this issue. I'd been looking forward to it. I was waiting for it, and I was not disappointed. I have never seen Galactus in a knockdown, drag-out fight that with people actually capable of fighting with them. And I've certainly never seen him get his ass kicked because he's being overwhelmed. There was so much around Galactus that I've never seen before that happened in this book. I was pumped. You know, I, there's that one scene, you know, Galactus just, you know, essentially bitch slaps a, uh, a celestial, you know. And then, you know, there are four celestial bad guys that are here that he's having to, to fight. And, you know, the three of them look at the fallen celestial and then they essentially do this do this whole uh, you know Voltron thing, where you know align, merge, combine, and they all all four of them become one giant super celestial. So like uh-huh. celestials aren't bad enough, you create this super celestial. And while the word on the page from Galactus, you know, is him looking up, you know, rather stunned at at, at you know what's happening, he goes no. But what you really read into that is him going, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he can take on one of these guys. He's even kind of holding his own against all four at one point. Yeah. But one super celestial, no, he gets his ass handed to him. And they're beautiful pages. You know, it's it's that whole, you know, wonderful – Marvel cosmic fight kind of pages where, you know, you've got the energy and the bright colors and, you know, uh, people are just tiny in the background. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, but, you know, poor Galactus, you know, our, our boy, he, uh, things don't look so good for yeah, him. Yeah, I have never seen Galactus laying on the ground, beaten and unconscious. You know, the first thing that came to my head when you mentioned Galactus was Galactus at Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> and he's just listening to Sally talk about how she couldn't stop herself at the buffet. Glad just like, you think that's bad? You know, Pluto's not a planet anymore because of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't help it. Was driving by. So, yeah, uh, a nice stack. I, the I, rest of the book was pretty good, too. I mean, I, I bought this for the Galactus fight, but I found I was enjoying the, you know, the read moments, the moments with, uh, with Nathaniel Richards and, 
the Sioux, that is one thing that I have to really give to uh, to Hickman. He writes a very good Sue Richards. Yeah. She is probably the most interesting this character has been since the time period in Fantastic Four when everyone thought Reed was dead and she was leading the team. Right. And that was, what, 20 years ago at this point? Maybe yeah. more? Yeah. No, it's good stuff. I, I, I really enjoy this book. I really enjoy this book. And particularly the bit of dialogue with uh, you know the kids. And you know they, they tune in to uh, uh, the frequency that the kids are broadcasting on. You know, and keep in mind, there's this whole alien invasion thing going on on Earth as well. And so up pops one of the kids. Attention, invading alien scum. I am Bentley, scourge of man, destroyer of hope. And I also have a passing interest in dinosaurs. Prepare to surrender now! Yeah, I'm big fan of Fantastic Four. Also a big fan of uh, Future Foundation. I think we get that next week or so. So, Yeah, I'm probably going to be picking it up again, too. Like I, said, I jumped off all these books because they really lost me. The uh, All of the stuff around when, uh, oh, when Black Bolt returned, that really horrible couple issues there. And then just the storyline around that just was not interesting to me at all. I don't like the the alternate reads but now that they're gone the book has got me again yeah it's a strong book i'm i'm really digging it i'm curious as to where it's going to land you know once this big cosmic storyline is up uh i'm curious as uh you know what the new status quo for johnny storm is going to be uh i'm interested in all that so i i i'm 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 excited about the fantastic forest future You, you know if you're that excited about it maybe you should you know play it out in a role-playing game if only there was a role-playing game that would allow me to play my favorite marvel characters camc we could do fake transitions <laughs> too we could have a tv show that nobody watches <laughs> well or that people watch and complain about on twitter <laughs> even better so uh we got preview copies of the uh Marvel heroic role playing game from Margaret Weiss Productions this week. Um And where do we get those from, Aaron? Drive through RPG.com, your stop for digital role playing games. The only digital I can stand is drive through RPG.com. Very good. There you go. That was your That's plug. You cut that out and paste it and you know. So, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the Marvel heroic role playing game uh, for a couple of weeks. You know, it's it's a it's a great big, chunky, uh, 230 plus page uh, rule book. So, you know, it's it's a little much for us to uh, have uh, completed uh, reviewing in in, uh, just a few days that we've had it. But uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about initial impressions and, and the dice mechanic today. Uh, an initial impression from me, it's an awfully pretty book. Yeah, the production value is very high on this book. Yeah, very good art all the way through. Yeah, well, and I, I like that they used genuine Marvel art as opposed to hiring somebody to uh, draw in the Marvel style, as you see in so many, you know, kind of uh, licensed books and licensed property. Uh, Unfortunately, that does mean Cat Beast. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I the uh I, I find the I, I find the artwork to be very satisfying in the book. And I mean every page has got something on it. You know, because they just opened up the, the Marvel vault to these guys uh for them for them to use the uh the, the artwork. I just I think it's fantastic. So uh, very very nicely put together. And I and I found, you know, I'm I am still very early in the book and I and I I really have I've spent most of my time reviewing the dice mechanic. Um and I find that it's the uh, the rules explanations are very clear. You know, sometimes you you read a a role playing game rule book and you're like, what? You know, and and it's just not clear and it doesn't have really you know concise examples. And I found that you know particularly they they they'll give you a graphic to explain what your dice are going to look like. You know, and it kind of walks you through every step of the way. I found it to be very clear. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, is that I, I, I think I'm just the kind of person I need to, I need to do it. But I agree. I think they, they do everything they can to explain it to somebody without, you know, having the opportunity to actually sit down one and show somebody. Oh yeah, and I completely agree with you, Tim. I am very much a tactile, tactile learner. You know, I, I need to throw the dice. I need to be in the situation to understand it. Uh, but you know, the, the rules on the page, I feel like, are, are just as clear as, clear as they can possibly be. 
you know. Yeah. Now this is this does utilize a dice pool mechanic, um, and so you're going to be throwing a lot of dice in this game. You know, in fact, I was immediately I was looking at the number of dice you're going to be throwing at any one time, and I was like, ooh, time to break out the backgammon cups because <laughs> you know I, that's a lot of that's a ass loaded dice you're going to be throwing, which yeah, is fun because I, I like throwing dice. So, and I do have to say, for me, that's a big downside as we look through. I tend to not care for dice pool. Right. I just, it's just something I've never liked, the the building your pool to roll. Mm-hmm. It's not that I mind rolling a bunch of dice, because I love rolling a lot of dice. The hero system, when we played that, that was great. The, you know, Having 22 D6s ready to go to roll for your damage, <laughs> that was fun. Right. But I don't know. I just... Uh, I don't care for the dice mechanics, and it's not that there's anything wrong with them, mm-hmm. because it's like you said, they're very clear in here. It make they make sense. I see why they're doing it. It's not to my taste. Now, when we get into some of the uh, the later weeks and talk about things in here, this game has a lot that I really do enjoy. A lot that is to my taste that I've seen. The dice pull mechanics just. Again, not to my taste. Nothing wrong with them. They're very well done as far as dice pulls go. Mm-hmm. Just not. Not the type of dice rolling that I enjoy. The, the only thing that concerns me about the size of the dice pool and everything that you're doing with the dice, you know, so for instance, you know, you're 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 going to take an action in the game, and I'm sorry, I'm fast forwarding to the to the page it's on, but you know, you're you're going to roll the dice when you know you're not sure if your hero succeeds or fails. You want to try something that's bold, challenging, or dangerous. You want to oppose, challenge, or thwart another character. You want to show off your hero's superpowers uh, or cool abilities. And then, you know, you're going to roll your dice and, you know, you're going to be looking for uh, – you've got to keep track of the dice. So in the example that they cite on the page, you've got like five different dice that you're using and uh, you're going to total up your uh, effort. So effort is, is one of the things that you're looking for. And then you're going to be looking for effect and that's another subset of those dice. Um and then you're going to be looking for, you know, opportunity dice and, you know, do those dice roll over to the doom pool. And so there's a lot to keep track of on just this one set of dice that you've rolled. And what I'm really curious to see is when we get into, you know, play testing, you know, a, a combat situation is to, to see how fast that resolves. Because I could see that really bogging down fast. You know, you hit on something I do like about this particular dice pool as compared to others I've seen. That doom pool. Mm-hmm. The idea that when you roll one, instead of you getting some sort of critical failure or something, those ones go to the GM or yeah. the watcher in this game. And that is a pool that he has to use to push the story along. Now, Tim, I'm hearing grumbling over there. Yeah, I don't like that because <laughs> what, 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 what White Wolf's problem was in the original is that if you rolled ones in your dice pool, mm-hmm. they took away from your successes. Right. So there's like a bell curve. So, for example, if you're Thor and you're rolling 15 dice, there's more chances for you to F up than if you're, sure. you know, Joe Schmo. Well, and but the, they're they're called opportunity dice, and it's not necessarily an opportunity that the, that the game master or watcher, as the game refers to them, actually has to seize. So I think that the 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 game master or watcher has to temper their utilization of those dice in terms of you know is it serving the story. And I will say, you know, more so than than you know some of the other larger games that we've seen, such as you know. Uh, D&D uh, 4E, um, this is a more story-centered, character-centered game. You know, the character, does, the, the player has an opportunity to affect the story because they actually have a stat called plot point. And they can earn, they can continue to earn plot points throughout the game and can affect, you know, the world with those plot points beyond just their stat rolls. I kind of I like that plot point mechanic. Yeah, I've always liked things like that in game. Anything that lets the players do something outside of combat with a with a chip or a point or something. So it lets the players affect the story. I mean, every game that I run, there's something like that in the and, you know, every game that I uh not every game I play in, but a lot of the games I play in, we we homebrew that in if it's not already there mm-hmm. because we like having the players have a little bit of uh plot influence outside of just what their characters have. 
Yeah, I dig it. I, I you know, I and I, I like the the Doom dice, uh, the Doom pool. Uh, I, I think that that's a that's a nifty uh, mechanic for the game master. Uh, I, I I really I, I think that's going to be cool in this in this uh, in this system. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the whole dice pool thing, but that was one thing about it I do like over other dice pools. I like that Doom pool. Yeah. Well, and the Doom pool, you know, essentially allows the uh, the the watcher to raise the stakes in the game. You know, that it, it's essentially his pool of, of bennies, you know, to use a Savage World term, to you know, to juice the, the his his side of the game. You know, and what I love about the page where they talk about the Doom pools, mm-hmm. what's the picture taking up half the page? It's Doctor Doom standing there with his <laughs> arms crossed. The yeah. Doom Pool. That's right. That's right. Is anybody else kind of freaked out that you're called a watcher if you're running this game? Yeah, you know, I, I it seems I, kind of pervy. It does seem a little pervy, you know, because Aaron likes to watch. Right. <laughs> so you know, initial impressions. I, I I'm excited about the game, but I got to ask you a question. I don't know if any of you guys are further into your review than I am. This is the basic. Uh, version of the game, and it's the, it's the only one out right now, as far as I as far as I know. Uh, it's the you know Marvel heroic role playing basic edition. I don't think it allows you to create your own characters here. Have y'all seen any character generation mechanics in in the book yet? Well, I, I know they're that far. I say I know their big idea behind the this whole system is that you're playing the main characters, right? So I haven't seen it in there. I. Th- I saw a few references that made me think that you would be able to create your characters I in it. I think that's going to be in the. I think that's going to be in a, in, a, in a new book. I don't think it's in this book. Yeah, in all of the the interviews I've heard about it, that's not a major part of the game. Right. They expect you to play the the signature characters, which makes this different than any other RPG that I've you know that I've had experience with. Yeah. So, you know, if you're picking up this book, you know, if you go to drive RPG.com and you, 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 you purchase the Marvel heroic role playing basic game, uh, the characters that you'll be able to play right off the bat are armor beast, black Panther, black widow, captain America, Colossus, Cyclops, daredevil, Emma Frost, human torch, invisible woman, iron fist, iron man, Luke Cage, Mr. Fantastic, Ms. Marvel, The Sentry, Shadowcat, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Storm, Thing, Wolverine. So you, you start off with, you know, uh, a lot of the A-listers, but far from a complete set of, uh, of Marvel characters. Yeah, and the storyline in uh, for this first one, because every one of these books based on interviews I've heard, is going to be a major Marvel storyline. Right. So, as much as I joked about it earlier, this is, you know, villains break out of the vault. Right. That is the storyline that's happening here. It could be any number of times where Bendis has done it, but, yeah, this is the story of the new Avengers being formed. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, we'll talk more about it. We'll, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the dice mechanics today. We'll talk about... Uh, you know, uh, the action scenes and taking action and understanding the data files and all of that coming coming up in future weeks. But yeah, what uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about is when you guys have read enough to see how the XP and character advancement works, because that's a interesting part of the game that I'm looking forward to the conversation on. Awesome. All right. Well, anything else, guys? No. Paul sucks. Sounds, sounds yeah, like a wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah Paul, 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 Paul does, does suck. suck. We lost Paul before we ever even got to... Uh, um, the AVX program guide. So, <laughs> yeah, he is experiencing some technical difficulties that, uh, you know, probably linked to the fact that he sucks. You so. know what happened? It was too much. It was too much Hispanic culture for him. Yeah, he was. He yeah. was a little put off by how Latino the three of us are. You know, I I hear from his wife. He experiences technical difficulties quite often. <laughs> <laughs> Way to work around the not moms, not mom joke. Like, that was fantastic. <laughs> ah, well, you guys have a good week. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.
you know, this show is sponsored by Chicas Locas. 